the Football Mental Health Alliance podcast, a mental health podcast for grassroots football. Our aim, to boldly delve into the intersection of mental health and football. We feature notable experts and ex-pros who are not afraid to share their wisdom and personal journeys with mental health. Welcome to the Development Locker podcast, the show that takes you on a journey of self-discovery, personal growth and development. In today's episode, we're talking about the intersection of sports and mental health. We're stepping onto the pitch to have a crucial conversation about a topic that's been gaining momentum in recent years, mental health in football. Football isn't just a game. It's a global phenomenon that unites people from diverse cultures and backgrounds. But behind the glittering stadiums and the triumphant goals lies a side of the sport that hasn't always received the attention it deserves. The mental health of its players, coaches and some of those players' parents. In this episode, we're going to explore how football is more than just physical prowess and tactical strategies. It's also a reflection of the mental battles players face both on and off the field. We'll delve into the highs and lows of football careers, discussing the psychological challenges that can arise from performance pressure, injuries and the demanding schedules that leave little room for self-care. But it's not all gloom and doom. The digital age has ushered in a new era of accessibility and support, and football is no exception. We'll be diving into the innovative digital support systems that clubs and organisations are implementing to promote mental well-being among their players. From mindfulness apps tailored for athletes to virtual therapy sessions, technology is changing the game by providing resources at players fingertips and let's not forget about accessibility it's a goal worth pursuing not only on the field but also in terms of mental health resources we'll be discussing how clubs are working to ensure that these support systems are inclusive and available to everyone regardless of their background or status after all everyone deserves the opportunity to tackle their mental health challenges head on so whether you're a player aspiring to go pro or simply curious about the human side of your sport join us as we kick off this episode and explore the intricate relationship between mental health football digital support systems and the accessibility of resources Before we begin, don't forget to hit that follow button so you never miss an episode that could change your life for the better. And if you find value in our discussion today, share this episode with your teammates, friends and family because self-awareness and self-development are gifts meant to be shared. Grab your metaphorical jersey as we dive into the heart of the game, unearthing stories, insights and strategies that aim to score a victory for mental health and well-being in the world of football it's time to huddle up and talk about the most important match of all the match within ourselves in this week's interview from the locker Welcome everyone to another episode of the podcast and we're very fortunate to have uh, yet another inspirational guest on the podcast this week. So Danny, we get straight into the why on the podcast and, and the question I want to ask you is your works within mental health, specifically within within football and we'll come on to that in a minute, but why, why is there still a gap in the support of mental health, specifically in the sport of football? Um, I think, Lee, because there's a gap in society still, you know, and so I think this, this it has been more accepted, mental health, there is more talk about it, there is more support out there, but there's not enough support in society for mental health in general. 
And I think as a result, football's the same. You know, football, you know, tends to like everything catches up to what society needs and demands and, and it's not in society. That's my straight answer, I think. Yeah, I mean, it is. I think society has a, has a massive role to play, doesn't it, in, in terms of that. And I think football isn't unique or separate from society, is it, in that way? Is that what's kind of brought you into some of the mental health work that you've done? So you, you've, you know, you, you've, you've come on to talk about your and you've designed the football mental, uh, sorry, the football mental health alliance. Is that something that in your mind you were trying to piece together the fact of society and football that there's a gap in mental health yeah yeah but i think like you know someone as someone that's been obsessed with football all my life you know played it not a good standard but you know your average you know grassroots footballer i think like you know football in a lot of ways mirrors society and society mirrors football you know it, it's it's in, in football all levels you get every cross-section of society I think playing involved in and and it, football's got no barriers if you like you know it, it's, it's, it's people say this all the time all you need to do to play football a ball or something that'll act as a ball you know and and a couple of jumpers for goalposts and you're off unlike other sports for example like cricket I think there's a big barrier to entry cricket because it's such a expensive sport to get involved with you know the pads and everything like that football football so you need and i think that's why this it, it mirrors society does football there's such a cross-section of people involved in football at all levels and i just saw how it started really i just saw loads of people struggling with their mental health lee and um they couldn't get access to support they didn't know where to go uh waiting lists are ridiculously huge in everywhere in anything that the the government offers shall we say and I just thought, well, if we can educate people more on mental health, then they'll understand themselves better. They'll understand maybe how to, you know, how to see a storm before it comes, if you like, you know, because if you look on the horizon, you can see the storm clouds coming in, in, you know, metaphorically, can't you? But if you don't know about mental health, you don't know about yourself, sometimes you don't see these storm clouds appear until you're getting rained on. And I just thought, well, what, what vehicle can we use to educate and support people with mental health on? And I looked and I thought, football's just such a powerful, emotive thing in, in, in society. You know, you'll know, you you know, you support a team and good or bad, you, you don't change teams, do you? You know, you, you unfortunately get, you know, sort of, you stick with that team all your life. And football's such a big part of, of the community at all levels, you know, so you look at professional level, you know, for someone like, you know, your club, Lee, Wigan, the club will have a massive part of the community, it brings communities together, it, 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 it brings friendships together, it allows people to vent, it allows people to create new friendships, and the clubs and the players carry so much weight, so much influence, and that's why, you know, you have sponsors on shirts, because that the, the people are watching that game on TV, live, and the, the people or the individuals that carry the most weight around any message are the players. And I thought if we can use football as a vehicle to talk about mental health, then everyone that's involved with football will see something in there for them, if you know what I mean. So, you know, it, breaking it down, football's the vehicle to promote mental health, positive mental health, and to educate people around it. Yeah, and you talk about the education there and all some of the great work that you're doing with Football Mental Health Alliance and the educational piece that kind of underpins that. We've also created something that's called The Vault. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about what The Vault is and, yeah. and what your vision is for that for the future? Well, the Vault is a digital suite of mental health support tools for football, so aimed at grassroots football. And the thing that that came about via of COVID, and you know, unfortunately, sort of thing probably that you know we have to speak about, was COVID brought about a an urgent need for accessible and anonymous mental health products. You know, as people have 
And since COVID, people have more and more sought out digital options, you know, because COVID, when things got shut down, Teams meetings, if your office space were the norm, and people couldn't go out. So after COVID, certainly the younger people, they sought out digital anonymous products. And the vault is that it's anonymous, it's online, it's a it's a it's a website which contains a plethora of uh, mental health support tools. It's anonymous, so you can access it at any time. No one knows you're on it. But digital support also meets the demands of those people who cannot or choose not to attend in-person sessions. So there's a number of reasons why, you know, an individual might not want to go to an in-person session around mental health. The stigma is one of them. I don't want to be seeing, you know, people thinking I've got a problem. Uh, accessibility, cost things. You know, with digital products, all you need is a phone and 90 I think 4% of the population have got connection to the internet so it's something that's there all the time they can access it when and where they want and there's there's tools in there that are from, from every any gender and any age group and we're just trying to make it accessible and anonymous and if you like covertly trying to teach people around mental health via football and you're saying there about going digital do you yeah. feel that even without covid it would have gone digital and digital is the way forward for these sort of support networks because you talked about not well probably still the stigma of maybe walking into yeah. a room with a you know counselor psychologist psychiatrist or a mental health expert there's still that stigma of, of that are we different human beings now since COVID where we don't necessarily want to reach out face to face, person to person? Is um, it a drive towards more digital kind of supportive platforms like that? I think I think for me, it's just offering another option. It's like anything, you know, if if we were all the same, we'd all drive Ford focuses, wouldn't we? And they'd all be blue and they'd all be the same engine. But we're all different and we all need different things to, to work for us because we're all individual. So I, I think, is it a drive? Is, is everything a drive towards digital? I think a lot of things are going that way, aren't they? You know, we, on, we shop online now. And I sound like an old person, but we've been doing that for ages. You know, mm -hmm. everything is in the palm of our hand in that phone. And I think phones are brilliant. They can be the best thing in the world, but they can also be one of the worst things in the world because there's so much negativity around social media. You know, the phone can be the gateway to negativity, but it can also be the gateway to positivity and learning. And if, you know, that thing that you've got in your hand can answer practically any question you've got, if you like. You know, it's not always you've got to check your sources and stuff. So for me, it wasn't a matter of thinking we're all going digital. It was a matter of thinking. What's, you know, how big is the problem? You know, what's out there at the minute? And what's missing and that's what i do when i'm do when i'm building or starting anything how big's the problem what, what's out there at the minute and what's missing and what we're missing for me was a mental health support initiative based around football for a specific audience and that specific audience is people that you know play football attend football watch football volunteer volunteering football match officials coaches you know, people like yourself, anyone that's involved in football that has an interest in football, we can use football as a tool to educate them around mental health. And you mentioned the word tools there. It's mm. having, you know, you've demonstrated the vault to me and it's it's very impressive, I have to say. It's not something I've I've really seen that's currently out there in any market whether it's private sector public sector grassroots academy elite level it's yeah it's pretty outstanding to be fair and the tools that within it what what do you feel will be some of the transferable tools that exist within the vault that you've created that not just people will be able to take maybe across different levels of sport or different sports but from your platform into life into working life and away from football yeah, well, just just to kind of step back a bit and where you've said you've not seen anything like this and, and from private public sector, and, you know, thanks for that, Lee. And and there isn't anything out there. The reason I, I feel there's nothing out there is that 
big companies have not yet learned how to commercialise mental health. And I don't mean that negatively towards mental health. I just mean that if you look at, um, you know, companies like, you know, one of the things I say is we're trying to make mental health like Nike. Now, you know, in football, Nike is everywhere. It's probably the biggest brand in football. Everyone wants it. It's on football boots. All the top players wear it. Everyone knows Nike. We're trying to make mental health like Nike because companies like Nike have commercialised physical health in the respect of clothing, gyms, etc. So when, you know, if you know anyone that goes to the gym, you know, you see them posting selfies on social media, they spend loads of money on gym kit, they're proud of going to the gym and they actively talk about going to the gym. You know, never do they say, I'll tell anyone, Lee, but um, I'm going to gym this afternoon. They shout about it, don't they? And yeah. that's what we're trying to do with mental health. And they shout about it because big companies have learned how to commercialise and monetize physical health. And what we're trying to do is, you know, one of the best ways to do it is, is show these companies and show everyone that mental health can be commercialised. And I think until it's monetized, that's when the investment will go into it more. And that's when more people will start talking openly about it, actively you working on their mental health like they do the physical health so when you say about what tools are in there that are transferable into life really good glad you touched on that because that is exactly what we've tried to do these are tools that people can use in a football pitch so you know when you're working with your you know players uh wigan you know the coaches their job is to make them better footballers there's practically nothing on here that's going to make them technically a better footballer. But what we hope the tools in here will make, not just footballers, but everyone involved in football, as I said, volunteers, spectators, etc., will make them have a more, a better understanding of themselves, of their own mental health and the mental health of other people. So tools that, you know, for example, are in here, we, we're big on, you know, mental health first aid training. And what we're trying to do is push for at least one person in every football club, now that's professional and grassroots, to be mental health first aid trained. Now, I think when we spoke first, Lee, I mentioned to you about we're talking to professional clubs about having members of their first team, senior people within the first team, so the players and the manager, coaching staff, etc., to be mental health first aid trained because You'll know better than I. In a professional setting, the skipper is the conduit between the manager and the players, like the coaches. Now, a lot of the time, and, and we've seen this in in, a, in, a, in academies, Lee, and and and, and they've talked. I've had conversations with clubs about this, and they've said that they know that a lot of their young players will not raise mental health with them for fear of being let go. Now, you and I both know that they won't get let go for poor mental health. But these these you know young people don't know that. So they're bottling this mental health up, thinking it's going to make them a weaker footballer, thinking they're going to get let, let, looked down upon by the clubs. We know that wouldn't happen. So what we're pushing for is saying, if the senior members of the first team, a mental health first aid train, that will automatically cascade down through the club into the academy and it'll show these young players that mental health is something that we all have like our physical health and it's something to be worked on and understood so the mental health first aid training is something that is is not mental health first aid for football it's mental health first aid for life if you like and, and mental health first aid training is brilliant it helps you spot signs in others it helps you to signpost and by having one person within each club, at least one person, mental health first aid trained, there's a point of contact for everyone in that club. So, for example, in my club, if I've got a safeguarding uh, concern, I know exactly where to go to. If I've got a mental health concern in my club, I don't know where to go to. So the mental health first aid training is one of them. There's a variety of resources in there that we're building uh, books for younger people. Um, and the books are titled All Footballers Experience. And then we talk about anxiety or stress or low moods. And they're, you know, books that are, that, that can be, you know, utilised anytime in school, you know, at home. There's a podcast in there. So, you know, very similar to what you're doing. Um, we've got uh, journals in there. So various journals that people can access and, and work upon. 
Um, because everyone I've studied, Lee, they, 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 they practice gratitude, they have goals, they look after themselves. So we've got a number of journal, journals and planners in the uh, vault that people can access and utilise. There's a match day journal that we use in there, and that's for younger players where they can record their feelings both before and after games. And what we're trying to do with that is covertly help them to become mindful by recording their feelings about a football match. So as a, as a, as a coach, I get my lads an hour on a Wednesday and an hour on a Sunday. I don't see them before the game anxious, nervous, frust you know, a bit worried. I don't see them after the game if they're, you know, annoyed or disappointed or down or in tears because they've not played well or we've lost. Now, what this match day journal does, it allows them to document their feelings without knowing they are, if you like. So it asks four simple questions. Um, it allows them to record the opposition, the date and the score. And then it asks them four questions. How did I feel before the game? How did I feel after the game? what coach said I did well, what I think I did well, and what I'm going to work on for next game. And so by highlighting how they felt before and after the game, it's allowing them to document the, the feelings, to become mindful. And the, you know, I've got 25 players in my in my uh, squad, if you like. Every one of their, their parents and carers have asked for one of these. Uh, so there's loads of things that can be taken from this into everyday life there's a mental health playbook in there and that is one email well, it's one mental health tip sent to your device every week a simple mental health tip that we can all undertake so there's nothing in there that is difficult or hard to explain because we work with a number of counsellors and therapists and things and, and a lot of the time counsellors and therapists talk in big words with long syllables that I don't understand. And and as a human, one of your sort of one of your first things if you don't understand something is generally not to put your hand up and say I don't understand. It's to shut up, walk away, and not ask any questions so you don't look stupid. And that comes a lot from school when you know your, your teacher might say, Right, anyone understand that? And if you just sit at class and think, Well, I'm not putting my hand up because I don't want to look stupid. So when it comes to mental health, people that are talking in big words and long syllables. And using terms that the layman like I don't understand, I'm not going to look into it. It's going to scare me. So we're trying to make mental health simple and make it where instead of people walking away from it, they walk towards it because it's interesting, it's simple, and it's in a, it's 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 in a it's it's shown them in a vehicle that they understand football. Does that answer your question, Lee? I answers it perfectly, and. I you can tell by how you're talking. You obviously know you 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 understand not just the mental health, but how it links in with football, how it's linked in with society. Like you said at the beginning, the fact that you've tailored your resources to draw them in, as you say, to make it light night. That you know it's everywhere. You can't really miss it, and that's certainly the the strategy to go, to go with. And the fact that you're tying that in with a digital platform. I think it will only be just a success after success after success, really, and, and ultimately meaning that the players, the people themselves, will be getting the support that they need. In terms of, of that support, how do you feel that, or is there, first of all, is there a difference, you, do you feel, between the mental health struggles, issues, problems that these players go through between grassroots and academy players your platform is specifically designed with grassroots players in mind i know you 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 know you, you have worked with you know academy players as well do you see different problems for those two kind of subgroups are there common uh, differences or similarities across the two how, how do you see the, the the two kind of sets of players is it one common theme across mental health does society play a part in that or are they clear differences between the two i think i think environment plays a big part so you know your upbringing your family unit how stable that is how educated your family is around mental health and well-being and things like that i think as far as the differences between the grassroots and academy players is i think automatically the academy players are they're under more pressure and, and not 
always necessarily from the clubs or the coaches within the clubs. A lot of the pressure and what I've seen comes from their families, the parents, the carers, you know, because they think, oh, they're an academy, they're going to make it, they're going to be next Kevin De Bruyne, Bukayo Saka, Harry Kane. And it's, it's human nature as a parent to want the best for your kid. And I think that the difference is the pressure that, they, that they're under, um, not necessarily always from the academy, but in that academy environment. Uh, that's one of the things, you know, you, you hope that everyone's playing football for enjoyment, but as you go higher up the rankings or the pyramid, it does become, you know, harder. You've got more competition. And one of the things that, that, that we're saying to academies is that every week grassroots football is feeding academies. And, and that's where, you know, the, the majority of the, the players come from. You know, they go out scouting, they see a good team, they, they bring them in. But also, you know, the and this isn't this isn't a slight on academies at all, but those players are only on that academy conveyor belt until someone better comes along. So when someone better comes along, and they invariably will, that player then is, you know, let go. That's fact of life, fact of football, fact of academies. But but where are they going, Lee? They're going back into grassroots football. Now, yeah. some of them, and this is something we're looking into actively now, don't actually end up going back into grassroots football because they've been that scarred, if you like, by being let go by the academy that they just fall out of love with football. I, I spoke with a parent two weeks ago and her son had played a number of Northern academies. Uh, one of them... Uh, top Premier League club, and then won a uh, league championship club. Anyway, he'd been there from eight, oh, younger, five, and his thing's about 11 now. Anyway, one day she said they just came up to them and said, oh, you know, we're not keeping him on. Or words to that effect. Not saying there's anything wrong with that. That is life, that is football. She said her son spent three weeks in the washing basket. You were devastated. You know, and, and she said, we were devastated as parents, as a family, you know, it, it was awful. And, and again, she wasn't saying it's wrong to be dropped by a club. She was just saying that's the impact that it had on her son. You know, he didn't, you know, when he got home from school, they were in the washing basket. When he got up, they were in the washing basket. And it sounds a bit bizarre. And it must have been awful for a parent to see her son like that. So the differences are that there's pressure there. And the differences are that I don't think that parents and players are adequately educated in what happens before, during and after the academy. Because I read somewhere about three weeks ago, you're more likely to be hit by an asteroid than you are make it as a Premier League footballer. But parents don't always see that. I've had it with us, Lee. I'm a coach myself, club local to us. Premier League, or not Premier League now, said, oh, we've seen your lads. Can you can you bring them up? We can have a look at them. And I went, yeah, all right, no worries. So I said to the lads, kept it low key. Right, lads, this club has asked us to go up and have a, you know, they want to train with us. That's all lads said. All they want to do is train. So I kept it low key so they didn't get excited. Went to parents. Right, so-and-so's, you know, asked us to go up and, you know, have a look at have a look at his lads. Boom, before you know it, they're all going to be playing Premier League football. There's photos on Instagram, there's posts on Facebook. We're going up to this club, we're doing this, we're doing that. And I'm having a temper that parents and, you know, not just parents that look after lads, you know, at my place, it's carers and guardians. I'm having a temper their expectations. The lads, I'm just saying, look, lads, we're just going up for a kickabout with this club. That's it. Enjoy it. Parents going berserk, loving it. It's going to be this, going to be that. Facebook this, we're going up here on Friday. They're having a look at my lad. So, you know, I think the pressure comes from the families a lot. But I don't think, in my experience, Lee, that either the players or the families and those around the players are educated enough about the before, during and after. No, I have to agree with you on that one. I think as much as mental health is, you know, rightly so, playing a larger, a bigger and bigger role within you know, academy football specifically, I can only speak from my own experiences, mm. not other sports or other levels. Um, it's becoming quite aware that, you know, 
I think you said the quote you said at the beginning there, you, you know, you don't don't realise about your mental health until, you know, you're getting rained on type mm-hmm. of thing. I think it's only mm-hmm. once you start to have those conversations, you elicit that openness, that honesty, that you realise that there's potentially a bigger problem. And, mm-hmm. yeah, it's almost a never-ending problem, the before, during and after, because, yeah, yeah the, the way that they're coming from grassroots, like you said, some, not all, will go back into grassroots. Mm. Some will then come, you know, there's stats, stats and damn lies, but then there'll be lads who'll come, go back into grassroots, but then mm. get spotted by a different academy and go into a different academy. And it's it's almost never-ending cycle. And I think it, you know, it's a life skill. You mentioned it before about society. I think there's a there's a bigger bigger picture here to be uh, mm. to be confronted, really, and, and, and you're doing some excellent work to do that. Yeah, I, I just you're think... You're an advocate uh, as well. Sorry, go on. I just sorry. I just think that you know football has a responsibility to everyone that yeah. is involved in it to to be doing this, to be talking about mental health. You know, clubs are very quick to you know uh, you know sell products to fans and things like that. Nothing wrong with that. It's a commercial mm-hmm. operation. It needs money to continue. But I feel that clubs at all levels have a responsibility to. Yeah, we're saying to clubs now, the, the narrative needs to be flipped, Lee. You, we need to be going to supporters and saying, instead of we're supporting you now, you've supported us through thick and thin and given us money every week and put your hand and, and given us emotions time. We're going to support you now. And one of the ways is through mental health because it's like physical health, Lee. You know, your, your academy players will, you know, finish training session and get a knock on ankle and be, you know, have, have an injury there. Probably won't tell you if they're feeling a bit down, a bit off it, and probably a lot of them won't understand that they are feeling down or off it on why. And they just muddle through. And, and you know, it's educating players to say, look, if you've got a tweak in your hamstring, tell us because, you know, we need to rest you. And, and they're, they're taught that, aren't they? You know, they're taught, you've got to tell yeah. us because I can't see if your hamstring's tight. I can't see if your ankle's hurting. You've got to tell us and then we can deal with it. Same with your, same with your mental health league. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And you mentioned that I know you're an advocate for for building a club that prioritizes mental health. You mentioned there about flipping it round. You know, it's not about you know the 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 fans supporting the club. It should be the club supporting you know those in the local wider community. Everybody mm-hmm. is associated and inside the buildings of of a football club. Apart from that, how how do you see that? How do you see it viable and achievable in terms of getting that priority of mental health at the very core of any club, of any environment. How do you feel that can be done? Well, at a professional level, let's go back to the players. They're the they're the, the thing that everyone in that stadium goes to watch. The players have all the the, the influence, shall we say. So as a as a club, let's say I I was a, an owner of a club, I would be using the players for good. I would be using the players to talk about mental health. And, and as it happens, we've 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 built a product for clubs to be able to do this. So what I've talked about the vault for grassroots, we actually can build them for professional clubs, where the players are the front and center of the vault, and all the messages around mental health are delivered by the players. So if you imagine. Like my son, big town fan, Huddersfield Town, sorry, Huddersfield Town fan. And uh, we're always trying to get him to eat healthily and eat greens and stuff like that. Hates broccoli, Lee. Oh, Dad, it's green, don't want that. <laughs> if I told him that Sober Thomas had broccoli every day for lunch because it made him a better footballer, my lad would be eating broccoli every day because yeah. Sober Thomas does it and because a footballer does it. So we've built a vault for professional clubs that has all the tools in it, but it's delivered and fronted by the players. So if you've got these players that people idolise, and I'm not just talking about lads my son's age, I'm talking about everyone of all, you know, you, you know, you look at a football stadium now, it's not like it was in 50s or 60s, you know, all men, that's it. Now it's a massive cross-section of, of, of that community. So in, in that football stadium, you've got, you've got every gender, every age, every interest. And if the players are, when the players talk, fans listen. And I say that as a, you know, middle-aged man. You know, when I, when I, you know, if a, if a 
England player comes out and talks about something, I'll listen to him because, you know, I look up to him. Not, not look up to him, but you know, he's got he's got status in my head. So you you can if you look at that from you know your average football fan, your average young person, you know lad or lass. When players talk, they listen. I'd be using the players to every week convey positive mental health messages and stats and things to the fans. Dead easy. It's simple, and and clubs could then monetize that as well. And again, this is I'm not trying to you know, push what, promote what we're doing here with that. We have got a product that does everything like that for the clubs. So as far as clubs go, they have got the ultimate vehicle to talk and promote and look after their community, the players. And that goes back to a lot of clubs have fantastic foundations and community arms, don't they? They're brilliant. They do lots of work in the community. However, Lee, not one of them, from what I have seen, has a digital mental health offering. They're all come for a coffee, have a five-a-side kick about, you know, loads of fake, it's all face-to-face, which is brilliantly. Yeah. But it's only brilliant if you can get there. It's only brilliant if you want to do face-to-face. So by not offering, by clubs not offering, or foundations as well, not offering a digital op- option to their fans and communities, they're actually excluding the vast majority of people they're trying to help. And I'm not saying they're doing that on purpose or in a bad way, Lee. But they are. So digital is an option that the majority can access. As far as grassroots clubs go, and and, and even academies, Lee, as a, as, a, as a parent myself, the first thing, if my lad goes anywhere, I want to know what one thing, is he safe? Is he going to be safe? And that's the thing with, with football. My lad's starting boxing tonight. We went down last night to have a look at it to make sure it were all right and everything, i.e., is he going to be safe when he's there? So I think grassroots clubs that actively support, push and talk about mental health will um, attract the players because the parents know that it's a club that has mental health at the forefront. It'll retain good players. It'll it'll bring in better coaches, better volunteers, and it'll also strengthen the community. So, you know, again, grassroots clubs have a, have a, have a big responsibility to talk about and support and uphold mental health within the club. I think at the minute, safeguarding is massive in in football for the awful things that have happened in the past. As a coach myself, I have to update my safeguard training every year. And when I've done it, I'm so glad I've done it because it refreshes everything, you know, scenarios and things like that. But there's nothing coming from the top down around mental health. Nothing at all. And this is another reason why we did what we did. As a grassroots coach, I see <clears throat> weekly where people are needing support and guidance with their mental health in other coaches, in players, in spectators, in volunteers. I see it because it's my job. You know, I'm up on this so I, I can read signs and things like that. There's been some stuff that happened with one of my lads, which he had a really awful awful experience which i won't talk about here and and, and he's you know there's, there's so many things and i've spoken to so many county affairs who are telling me that on a monday morning they're getting phone calls from coaches club volunteers players who are experiencing struggles with the mental health or they have a player in the club that's got struggles with the mental health and they're getting a lot of phone calls after after the weekend and they don't know where to you know, they're struggling sometimes to where to signpost these people because, you know, it's not the job, they're not experts and things like that. So a lot of them are getting, um, not overwhelmed, but loads of phone calls in from from, from clubs that, are, that have mental health concerns within their club. I've spoke to um, people within grassroots clubs where um, people within the club have uh, taken their own lives uh, it's happened within our club as well. So, you know, I, I see and I, I hear about it and I'm told about it on a weekly basis, Lee. And, you know, I think that it, it, it's football, as I said, as a, as a responsibility to discuss and educate everyone involved in the sport around mental health. Now, you've, you've mentioned you're a coach. You're obviously a parent as well. Yeah. The next question you can't sit on the fence with um no. what 
what coach and parent behaviour do you see? Whether it's on the sidelines, before a game, after a game, you know, what, whatever time frame we're talking, what parent and coach behaviour do you see that most negatively impacts uh, the player's mental health? Let them enjoy it. Let them enjoy it. If you don't enjoy what you're doing, you know, I, I see so many players that are, are walking on the pitch, and this is like a professional level as well. We wear a world on the shoulders because they're getting so much pressure from their parents, the supporters, the carers, the guardians. You know, they make a bad pass. They go, oh, what are you doing? And it's like, I want to think like, you know, professional footballers make multitude of bad passes and bad decisions every game. But they're on, they're on the back all the time, Lee. Are you there, Lee? Yeah, no, I'm still here. Yeah, I'm sorry, still, sorry, sorry. Yeah, I thought you were going to continue. Yeah. No, but no, no, sorry. In, in terms yeah, so, of that, in, in terms of a, from a parent perspective and a coach perspective, do yeah. you feel there's, you know, rewording that question and flipping it round, is the bits of positive behaviour that you see, is the bits where you just think, that's amazing, that's what more yeah. coaches should do, that's yeah. what more parents should do? Yeah, the best coaches encourage, Lee, don't they? The best coaches encourage. It's like anything as any, when you're involved with people, yeah, you've got to, you know, educate them and highlight where they can improve. But you've, I think, you've, you know, you've, when you're dealing with certainly young people, and that's what the, you know, the players on the pitch at every level, from grassroots to professional, they're all young lads, aren't they, Lee? Most of them. You know, yeah. lads at your club, the majority of them are early to mid-20s, aren't they? You've got your, you know, you, you've got your, then your senior pros that are you know thirty plus who have who have been through a lot in life and 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 understand more, but the young lads and and and, and not just lads I'm talking lads because I coach a lads team but you know the young people like the the, you know, the girls football is exponentially expanding at the minute and it's amazing, but let them enjoy it, Lee. Let them enjoy it. You know, let Roy Keane have a go at professionals on a on a Sunday. You know, when they're not doing the job, let's not do that to to young footballers. You know, let, let's encourage, let's tell them where they're going right instead of always highlighting where they're going wrong. And I, I see it on a, on a, you know, on a weekend where the opposition or certain coaches will just berate the players all the time, what they're not doing, what they're not doing, how they're doing wrong, what mistakes they're making, instead of telling them what they're doing well. Because like anything, it's like the, the more positive you are to someone, the better they're going to respond if you're constantly berating them. Like, you know, if, if your boss constantly berates you, Lee, what are you going to feel like? You're going to feel, you know. But if, if your boss is, you know, giving you encouragement, if your boss is educating you on how you can improve, and that's not, you know, I hate the word, what, what is it? Constructive criticism. I don't think there's such a thing. How can you be critical and constructive at the same time? You can educate someone on how they can improve, but I don't get the you know constructive criticism. Something I've never each to their own lead, but I don't get it myself. So I just think, just let them play, let them enjoy it, let them come off, let them walk on the pitch with a smile on the face, and let them walk off the pitch with a smile on the face. You know, when when they get to Wigan first team, and you know that the academy will have, you know, taught them what it's like to transfer, won't they, Lee? So they'll know what to expect when they get onto that pitch and they've got 10,000 people cheering or booing or having a go at them. But before that, let them enjoy it. Let, you know, Good. you enjoy everything better when you're smiling, don't you, Lee? Oh, of course you do. Of course you do. It doesn't really matter whether it's football, work. Yeah. And it's what you were saying there about constructive criticism, we all know as little boys and, like you said, with the women's game now, little girls will be the same. That bit of praise, that hand gesture, a few words, it just makes yeah. you feel on top of the world, chest out, on cloud yeah. nine, yeah. whereas it's the opposing effect if someone goes... Uh, you don't do this, you don't do that, and it, and it's the same. It's the same the world over. It doesn't matter whether it's football, whether it's a different sport, whether it's work, whether it's relationships. Yeah, it's yeah. Words carry very very high levels of of power. And what I found powerful from you recently was, I think I saw a post on LinkedIn over the last couple of days or weeks, and it was around 
ADHD yeah. and pro academies. And yeah. I think the phrase, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't want to misquote you, but you were saying that they were often missing the trick. Yeah. Tell us what you, you mean kind of yeah. by that and how, I don't want to say corrected that because almost mm-hmm. kind of says that, you know, if you follow these three steps, you know, yeah. Yeah. you'll turn every kind of problem into a solution and all the rest yeah. of it. But how, how do you feel that? academies are missing the trick and you know what do you mean around the kind of the the adhd piece and how that can potentially affect a young player how they can progress through the academy system i i think and this isn't i'm not broad brushing every academy lee here you know that you know but yeah 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 you know i think that as a society we don't know enough about neuro you know diverse um conditions like adhd and I think, again, you know, where society goes, football can follow. So as a society, I don't think we, we're educated enough. I don't think we understand it enough. I don't think we're empathetic enough about, you know, the likes of ADHD. And I think, like, it's difficult to empathise with something if you, do, if you don't understand it. If you don't understand it, you can't empathise, can you, Lee? But if you get to understand uh, something, whether it's a, a, a maths, anything, if you, get, if you understand it, you can empathise with it. And... Football is massively behind the curve on ADHD, massively. And I think, and again, this is, these are conversations I've had with, with uh, ADHD professionals. These are conversations I've had with ADHD professionals who have had um, kids in, uh, players in academies that she, that I was said that um, they've, you know, uh, typical, typical, you know, traits of AD, ADHD might be uh, struggling to um, focus, struggling to retain information, uh, you know, yep. maybe not so, uh, you know, struggling to sit there and, and, and be still, if you like, they can be quite fidgety. And I say that as a as a parent of a of a son who is just going through an ADHD diagnosis and he has all these traits. And yeah. and what we what we've seen is that not again, not broad brushing here, but but a lot of, you know, if you, if you see it as a coach myself, you know, you'll see a a player that's not listening or being disruptive or not taking things in and messing about, you like you think, oh, what pain, you know, listen, come on. I think what a lot of clubs don't see is that a lot of these young people have a form of ADHD. And so you might come to a point where, and I know this has happened, that players have been let go from academies and the academies said, look, you know, no, no to do with the player's ability. He just he struggles to listen. He's not paying attention. He's a bit disruptive when we're having team talks and things like that. And the parents said to me, because my kids, he's got ADHD. You know, so I don't think clubs have ever let any player go because of ADHD. But because they don't understand it, they think this yeah. this kid's just been disruptive. My, you know, what 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 we're saying to clubs now is that those clubs that actively embrace and educate themselves on neurodiversity, ADHD as an example, will, in the very near future, next couple of years, will retain and attract the best talent. Because it goes back to that point I said about when you take your, you, you take your kid anywhere, you want it to be safe, don't you? So if I've got yeah. a kid that's a, that, that has a form of ADHD, if I know that that club fully understand that condition fully understand adhd and are going to support my son or my my daughter with the condition i'm going to support me where am i going to want to take them lee i'm going to want to take them to that club that does that and so the clubs that that embrace and educate themselves around this and have support programs around this are going to retain the best players and attract them because why because adhd has some amazing traits that will make brilliant footballers ultra ultra focused when they get their head in the game the very um what's the word let's think you know the 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 very driven when they get into something and these are all things that that as a as a to be a good footballer you have to have you know they 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 overcome obstacles you know they overcome they can overcome um uh, you know uh, bad experience i'm trying to think of the word but you know football is a is a is a is a game of making mistakes isn't it lee and making decisions you know those that make the more mistakes quicker become better footballers because they learn from them and they make better decisions like lively isn't it life and football's the same it's about making good decisions early on and learning from them and that's what 
good footballers are, and that's what ADHD can allow these footballers to do. So I just think that, I don't think clubs are doing this on purpose at all. I just think they're behind the curve on it because more and more now, people, not just kids, people are getting diagnosed with ADHD from, from you know, five years old to 50 years old. And I know people at both ages and in between that are now being diagnosed with ADHD. So I, I just think my advice to clubs would be embrace it because you'll attract and retain the best talent moving forward. Now, not just as impressive as your mental health support within grassroots football, the production of the vault, you go in digital. You're also behind uh, a counselling service called Within You. Tell us a little bit more about that. How do and what the question really I want to have answered, which I don't think we've had answered in any previous podcast yeah. episode around mental health is how do individuals know when to reach out for services such as these? You mentioned yeah. about sometimes you don't know until you're getting rained yeah. on. Is there key parts? Is there a key phrase? Is there something that you look for within some of your players that you support or people that you're in the, the, the working environment in and that you share that environment with that you you can basically spot or you advocate that, look, if it gets to this part, that's probably the stage yeah, of where yeah. you, you need to reach out for some of these support services. I think, I think for me, Lee, you know, and, and you know, I, I am not a, a counsellor or a therapist, you know, I'm not, you know, and, and it's, it, it, you know, we've got professionals working with those who, who have got that clinical knowledge there. I, I think when you, when you talk about signs, it can be sometimes difficult because we're all individual and, a lot of people can learn to mask behaviour and things like that. And that happens a lot with people with ADHD and autism, for, for example. They, they, they mask the symptoms, you know, and they, they suppress what they want to do. And then when they're out of that situation, so for example, it could be uh, someone at school. So they want to fidget and talk and mess about in a class, but they don't, they suppress it. And then when they get home, they're exhausted through, through, not been themselves, if you like. So as far as like signs to spot, there's, there's so many. And, and going back to the mental health first aid training that, that we do, we've undertaken that here. And that is brilliant because it gives you so much information on how to, you know, spot potential signs of, of people that as you've identified that you might be around or talking to or with, that, that that's fantastic. What we what we've done is part of the vault is we've teamed up with a um, the hub of hope. Now I don't know if you've heard of the hub of hope, and it it sounds like to me it's a it's one of the sort of best kept secrets in mental health, which isn't which isn't exactly brilliant. But the hub of hope is a database of mental health support in your area, and it, and it's like location based. So we've teamed up with them. I saw what they were doing as we were building the vault and we were going to put together like a, you know, a database of all the local mental health services. And I saw what they were doing and it is brilliantly it's called the Hub of Hope. If you Google that, you can go to the Hub of Hope. You can type in where you are. You can type in maybe what support you feel you need or what you may be struggling with. You hit a button and it'll give you all the services in your area. It'll tell you how far away you are from it. It'll tell you when it opens and closes and it'll tell you when, when to access it and how to access it. Because what I've seen is when, when someone might feel they need some support with their mental health, you know, and using, you know, most organisations as, as an example, a lot of them have a, you know, mental health support on their website. It's a tiny little link right at the bottom and you have to struggle to find it and you can't, you can't find it. And when you do, it gives you, you, you know, your same old contacts. We're all brilliant, mind, Samaritans, etc. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. It's just like a link and a number. And I think that's not enough. Because no. what I'm, you know, what happens if 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 it's something to do with my my sexuality or my relationship or you know anything, you know, and, and the hub of hope allows you to drill down into what you feel you need support with. How do people access it? I think it goes back to educationally and, and, and learning about mental health and learning about yourself and knowing maybe what your triggers are and knowing that if you're feeling low, 
or you're feeling not yourself, there is the time to access some support. And that's not always bringing a line up or going to a counsellor. It could be listening to a podcast. It could be watching a YouTube video. It could be going out for a walk. It could be reading a book. It could be getting fresh air and sunlight. It could be, you know, changing your, your diet to a more healthy diet. But it's just, I think it's mental health is about getting to know yourself firstly before anything else. And by doing that, you can get to learn triggers and patterns and feelings. And, and that's what I've done with myself in the last seven, ten years. Just got to know myself, Lee. Because I think if you don't know yourself, you can't purport to know anyone else, can you? No, you, you're very true on that one. I think sometimes the the easiest, the most accessible solution to staring us in the face, I think, by knowing yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's the easiest thing. Doesn't take not wanting to do yourself out of a job. It doesn't take any technology or or digital piece of equipment to to know yourself, does it? But I think then that ties in with what you're offering because I think if they know the self, know when to reach out, that's where your digital platform will be able to, you know, hopefully, not hopefully, but yeah, support them yeah. moving forward in terms of their own mental health. In terms it's of like physical. It's like physical health only, isn't it? Sorry, it's like yeah. mental health and knowing yourself, like physical health. You don't join it, you don't, you know, pay 30 quid a month to go to a local JD gym, go once and end up the fittest person on planet, do you? You've got to keep going to that gym and working your body out. Mental health is the yeah. same. You don't just listen to read one book, listen to one podcast, go on one walk, have one counselling session and everything's okay. It's an ongoing process. Like going to the gym is like I say, you know, you. That's why. That's why all these people that you see that are, you know, have the amazing bodies and they're fit and everything, because they go to the gym all the time. And it. And what we're trying to do is promote people going to the gym inside the head. And in terms of process, unfortunately, our process has to come to an end. So the final question: uh, What lasting message would you like to leave our listeners with? Something to remember you by uh you know whether it's something in terms of you know a, a piece of advice or you know a, a digital platform for them to reach out to or what what lasting message would you like to leave our listeners with i think the thing that i read and see is believing yourself and, and 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 try and talk to yourself like you would a friend that needs some help even if you don't need any help because we all beat ourselves up when things don't go right we're all his own worst enemy uh, me included you know actually i just think tr you know try and get to know yourself and it's a long ongoing process that can be difficult and i think because it's difficult a lot of people avoid it believe in yourself it's not selfish to put yourself first because the old adage is if you're on a plane and the oxygen mask comes down, you put your own oxygen mask on first, because if you don't put your own on, you can't help those around you. And that's life. Put your own oxygen mask on first. Believe in yourself. Get to know yourself. Be kind. Perfect. I think that's a great message to end the podcast on. Thank you for your time, Danny. I know you're, you're an extremely busy person. You're doing many, many different things, but doing them very well. Um, on behalf of myself and, and the listeners, thank you for sp sparing the last 60 minutes with us and, and giving us plenty to think about, not just knowing ourselves, but you know the different support networks that are out there the you know the things that coaches parents and players can be doing to make sure that they positively impact their mental health. So thank you for your time. Brilliantly. Thanks very much. Cheers, bud. And that brings us to an end of another episode of the podcast. But as always, there's three key messages I'd like to leave you with. One, get rid of the stigma. Danny spoke passionately about this and so have some high profile players of late. Deli Ali, Aaron Ramsdale and Calvin Phillips have all spoke openly and honestly about their mental health struggles in a variety of different ways. Two, we're all different. We will struggle with mental health potentially to do with performances, injury, release, career pathway, whatever it may be, we're all different, but it's important to know yourself. Third and finally is exactly that. 
know yourself. The art of self-talk. Time on your own, away from distractions, time to think. And there you have it. If you want to find out more about this week's guest, you can do on their website and check out their social media platforms for more of what was discussed in this episode, all of which you can find in the bio of this episode. You can reach out and continue the conversation towards taking ownership of your own personal development and unlocking your potential on and off the pitch. If you haven't already, make sure you hit the follow button on our podcast, as well as follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and connect with us via LinkedIn to provide us with your feedback on this episode and suggest future ones too. As always, be sure to share this episode with your teammates, friends, and family, and whoever else you feel will benefit from this. Until next time, when we bring you yet another interview from The Locker.